Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of two and soon to be three and a practicing physician. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In today's episode, I think it's episode nine, we're talking about going towards a 50-50 split, how to create a fair division of labor at home without keeping score. Uh, a topic we hear from people about a lot. <laughs> Many of these episodes we're doing uh, around now are, come from listener questions. So if you do have a topic you think we should be talking about, we'd be glad to hear it. You can always email me, lvandercam at yahoo.com. Reach out to Sarah on social media as well. Another way of dividing things at home, how's that for a horrible segue? We were talking earlier about room sharing, <laughs> sharing rooms, how we split bedrooms in the house. Um, because you are pondering how to do this when kid number three arrives, right? 
Yeah, we are going to be entering into the world of having more people in the house than rooms to house them. <laughs> and so this is going to be a new challenge. And of course, we I'm really excited actually about the gender kind of order that we have. So we have girl who's a five-year-old girl, a three-year-old boy, and then we're going to have another girl. But that doesn't really lend itself towards a really natural room sharing situation. So right now, since moving at least within our immediate area is not something that's going to work financially, we are planning on putting the two kids together and then having a nursery and then kind of taking the long term. Um, We're going to leave that open because I guess I just don't really know how long, you know, Annabelle and my daughter and son would want to be together and then how awkward it would be for the two girls to share a room when they'll be six years apart. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think there's anything problematic about little boys and girls sharing rooms. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. It's just that when they become like 12 and six, it's like but that's or 12 okay, that's, and 10, you know, that was a long time from now. It's a long time from now. I'm planning. No, I'm <laughs> Seven years, they might be unhappy about this. That's true. I think, well, you'll come up with an entirely different solution by then. We, we also have um, a room sharing situation um, because our goal is to, so we have three boys and one girl. My daughter has her own room, which is just going to be, I think, her privilege as being the only girl. She lucked out. <laughs> she lucked out on that one. She has her own bathroom too, little girl. She's uh, very excited about that. But then um, we have this Jack and Jill bedroom situation. So that means that there's two bedrooms with a bathroom between them. And the idea is that we would like to have the three boys be in those two rooms. And ultimately, I want the configuration to be completely up to them and sort of have it, in theory, be changeable, too, um, that if they decide all three of them would like to be in one room and have another room as a playroom or have um, it move around depending on who's doing projects together or whatever, that they can do that um, and that they'll sort of all be in those two bedrooms with that bathroom in that self-contained boy world. (laughs) But currently... Basically, my seven-year-old just keeps getting the shaft on this one. So we bought this lovely bunk bed for the room that the two-year-old is currently sleeping in. And we wanted the seven-year-old and the two-year-old to be together once the two-year-old is old enough to do that. And I thought it would have happened by now. I mean, he's going to be three before very long. It just hasn't. I mean, because his sleep is so disjointed, problematic, all that stuff. Um, does he want to be with your seven-year-old? Like, does that motivate him? You know, oh, once you start sleeping. I, wish it, I don't know anything that motivates him. Um, <laughs> I haven't figured that out at all. So, you know, that was the idea. Is the two of them are going to have the really cool bunk bed. And, and I think it will work in another year or two. But right now it's just not. So the seven-year-old is still in with the nine-year-old, our 10-year-old. And they, they've been together for a long time. I mean, certainly since... The two-year-old was was born basically, and and before that, they had separate rooms. They each, you know, had the two um, the, of the Jack and Jill, and so the seven-year-old has kind of just not really gotten <laughs> his own room ever, and he may never get his own room. But it's just the way it is, and it makes more sense certainly for a ten-year-old and seven-year-old to be sharing right now than than the seven-year-old and the two-year-old. But that's that's how does it how does it influence the bedtime routine? Because that's what I'm sort of wondering, you know, you can't really well, read them. That's the problem is the 10-year-old does not sleep. He doesn't ever want to sleep. He likes to stay up late 
and he still wakes up early and then he does not fall asleep during the day or in cars or anything like that. He just has very, very low sleep needs and always has. The seven-year-old is not like that. He will, if he goes to bed at the same time as the 10-year-old, he will sleep quite late in the morning. Um, and he loves his sleep too. And, and so we've had to sort of, there is no good way to send the seven-year-old to bed before the 10-year-old if they're sharing a room. That is the reality of a shared room situation. And and so we make the 10-year-old go to bed on time. As far as I know, he's just kind of lying there, I don't know, with his thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but at a time that the seven-year-old could have roughly enough sleep and, you know, he catches up a little bit of it, I think, on, on weekends. And yeah, so it's not, it's not a perfect solution, but I, I do think that once the two-year-old is a little bit older, when he's like four or so, I, I think he'll be able to because he's also a kid who doesn't need sleep, apparently. Um, he and the then eight-year-old, nine-year-old will probably actually go to bed around the same time and, and sleep about the same amount. So that's going to work in the future, I believe, but not now. So listeners, sounds like we would both love you to weigh in on things that have worked for you if you have kids that are sharing a room and how you how you customize the sleep hours and bedtime routines and all that because... Yeah, sounds like we still have some things to figure out. <laughs> so our main segment was also today coming from a listener question. You want to read that one for us? Sure. Hi, Laura and Sarah. I am a physician and had my daughter when I had a little year, little over a year of residency left. Wow. I never really had the mom guilt. I know. Just like for a moment of silence because that is rough. Um, And again, as I mentioned previously, I actually never experienced that. I had my first during fellowship, which is definitely less intense than residency. So we'll just leave that there. Okay. I never really had the mommy guilt, that's in quotes, I had heard about leaving her because I had been pretty happy at work. What did take me by surprise was the guilt I felt about how my frequently long hours impacted my husband who had to do the bulk of the childcare during those periods. Because of that, and because I wanted to spend the time with her, I did pretty much all the daycare drop-offs and pickups, putting her to bed, etc. when I was not in the hospital. Now, a couple of months out of residency, I am still doing most kid duty when we're home, even though my clinic hours are now normal. I would like to split things more evenly so that I have time in the evenings to do the research and writing I will need to do to advance in my field. But I still feel guilty about asking him to do more, that he shouldn't have to do more child household stuff than he would if I had picked a less intense career path. My husband, although not a doctor, also has a pretty rigorous job, so he is not jumping to volunteer to do the bedtime routine, although he was a, he is a devoted dad and will take her whenever I ask. I would love to hear how you two approach the idea of what's fair when dividing responsibilities with your husband. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> All right, let's, let's hear them. My um, first thought is um, I always think it's very useful to take what you've written and sort of reverse the genders and see how it sounds to you. And how many men would write something similar? And I think the answer is very little. And therefore, we have to really look at like what is sort of motivating some of these feelings, because how much of it is coming from, you know, what you feel like you should do and what is based on reality. So that that is my first thought. I'm like, I want to just sort of like read this whole thing switched around and see how we all hear it, because it would sound very different. And then my other thought is, it really sounds like you have taken this role as default parent unless I'm not there. And so to me, the primary thing we need to figure out is how 
how do you want to change that and how could we change that? Because it's really interesting how now that you both have sort of reasonable jobs, you're still kind of the, the one doing anything, parent. quote unquote, unless you ask. Yeah. No, the default thing is, is I think what gets a lot of women is it's not that, you know, your husband is trying to be unhelpful or trying to be some sort of Neanderthal here, because clearly you would not have married him if that was the case. Like, we're not talking people who are under the impression that children are women's work and they have no responsibility to that whatsoever. I'm, I'm guessing like 99% of our listeners that that is not the case for, but it's easy to become the default parent. I mean, just from things that happen, like at the beginning, I mean, if you're the one breastfeeding the kid, like you wind up doing more of the stuff because you're with them more. Maybe if you have a maternity leave, if you're off for a couple months, you wind up being like one who knows how to do stuff. Like, you know, the routine for getting the kid down for nap. Whereas if dad's been at work the whole time, like he doesn't know the routine for getting the kid down for nap. And it's just all that stuff winds up playing out into mom becoming the default. And since this couple had the default of if she was home, then she would do X and do all the kid stuff. It becomes very hard to change it now that she's home more because she's still doing everything. <laughs> I find that interesting. You know, it's a, uh, I think honestly with stuff like that, I mean, one thing you can do is disappear because the default thing is about both of you being there. And so you feel like even if you're both there and you both want to relax, they come to you because you're there. Whereas if you're not there, they can't do that. And dad can't sort of automatically default to you either. And so for instance, you could just have a conversation about that. Be like, well, you know, this week I really have this, you know, I'm crashing toward this deadline. I have two nights that I, I would really appreciate being able to work late. So as we talk about it, what two nights of the week would it work for me to not be here for you to cover? And then, you know, I will be home the other nights. And that seems like a relatively reasonable thing to ask for. You know, especially if there are seven nights in a week, you being gone too gives five others that you are still there. But then on those two nights, you aren't the default. And then you have the space to do that work that you're trying to do to advance in your career path. Yeah, because um, this, this person um, has a specific thing that she would like to do. And in her case, she said she wants to do more research and writing. So I agree with you. I think that being like, well, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'll be home at eight because I'm doing research and writing <laughs> might help solve some of this. It still doesn't quite sort of cure the default parent idea, but it, it's a great strategy. But um, it helps, right? Because if, yeah. if a couple nights a week, the parents, the, the kids know they can't go to you, that they have to go to dad, then they become more comfortable with dad, right? And the more times they become comfortable with dad, the more it is less of a default parent thing because they've seen that dad is actually perfectly capable of reading them their bedtime stories and getting them their bath and whatever else it is. And, you know, I think pointing out to the the husband, maybe that he could take the other couple, the other nights, like, so, so, you know, in this particular case, she has something she'd really like to do. And her husband sounds like he's just sort of casually hanging back. I don't know if he's tired because he has a rigorous job, but maybe like sort of offer something 
concrete to the husband. So like, oh, I heard that you wanted to like start working out more or you wanted to, you know, whatever he wants to do. You wanted to read more. Like how about on, you know, those other two days, Mondays and Wednesdays, don't worry, I totally got bedtime so that you can take that time for you. I think that sort of making sure, and again, this isn't about necessarily keeping score, but sort of pointing out to the husband specifically that he's getting husband time rather than letting it default kind of just flop, you know, lie into place. However it happens could be really useful because then she will feel less guilty and more justified in, in taking that time that she wants for herself. Yeah. And this word guilt is, is also interesting. One thing I have found over the years between men and women I mean, I think women often would like to not to have to ask for things that they sort of assume that things should go a certain way automatically, like, cause having to ask is hard, you know, whatever we're socialized not to necessarily ask for things that we would like. That's why many women have trouble asking for raises, for instance. And, but little, you know, boys are less socialized that if you just think of something like, you know, in many couples, the guy is the one who asked the woman out first. He may have asked her to marry him. Like, you know, little boys are actually socialized that you do have to, in fact, ask for what you would like in life. And and we don't grow up with that. And so, but the truth is guys will tell you no. If they don't want to do something, they will absolutely tell you no. Women will often be like, oh, he asked, so I have to do it. Like, no, that's actually not true. But a guy will tell you no. So you should not feel guilty about asking because he will tell you no if he's not going to do it. Um, so you may as well ask for what you want. And again, he might say no, but he might say yes too. And, and then, you know, asking somebody to read your mind about what you'd like is just not helpful. I mean, why would that, you know, so, so don't feel guilty about asking. And so when she says that he will take her whenever I ask, then maybe you're just going to have to ask for now and say, I think we need to develop a different split so that I can do my stuff and you can do your stuff occasionally. Let's talk this out. Let's talk about what would be the right split for us. And, you know, this idea that I feel guilty about asking that he shouldn't do, have to do more household stuff than he would have if I picked a less intense career path. I mean, that's a very funny way of looking at it because he gets the upsides of your career path too. Like, I'm sure that you earn decent money, right? In an intense career. Let's hope so, right? Or, um, you know, that, that you have interesting things to talk about and all, all that. I mean, it's just, there's, there's upsides for a career as well. It's not just all bad news for him. Yeah. And a shout out to our last episode. Don't forget about that third party option. So let's say you both do want to do something on Wednesday nights. Maybe that's your night to plan for childcare on that night. Or maybe there's household stuff he really, really hates. I don't know, like cooking or, you know, or loading the dishwasher. Like maybe you can figure out another answer to those other than either of you as well. So that's, you know, something to talk about. Yeah. And I would say another thing, um, because there are some households where for whatever reason, it's probably not going to be a perfect split. And it, that that probably is more the case in, in mine, and there's a variety of reasons for that, and we've gotten better about certain things over the years. But the thing is, if you wind up doing more than a 50-50, the default should be 50-50. So if one party I is not... I, I guess the default on a population level should be 50-50, but I would argue that actually the situation is going to vary based on the choices that people are making. Like in our house, it doesn't 
even though I outsource a ton, I'm not sure 50-50 is quite the ideal just because I actually don't physically have as many work hours as my husband has. But I, I mean, I think on a population level, I would, it should be 50-50 ideally, but I don't know that there should be guilt about it being 45, 60 or 40. Well, that's yeah, yeah, in an individual case, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about outsourcing some of this stuff. If, if the other party is not doing 50, 50, right? Because you're not outsourcing you, you're outsourcing him. Right. And yeah. So, so change that mindset. I mean, we've had some women say, well, you know, my husband works late every night. I feel so guilty about getting a sitter so I could go to the gym. It's like, again, you're not outsourcing you, you are outsourcing him. If he doesn't feel guilty about it, then why would you, I mean, it's his time that he's lost, um, with the kids. Like it's not yours. Uh, so, uh, that, that's another way to view that perspective. And maybe that's okay. You know, there, there is no right percentage for any one household, one household, maybe, you know, 40% dad doing everything and 30% mom and 30% an outside party. And there's going to be a different sort of ratio. I just made that one up for every single family. The question is, have you sort of in an unbiased fashion thought about what works best in your particular situation? And now you sort of have the setup where you guys take different times of the day and, and that, that works for you guys. Yeah, that works really well for us. And that's been something that's evolved and that we've like talked about. Like we, it's not even just like, oh, it just kind of happened that way. It's like, okay, since I can't count on you to come home, I'm not in a bad way, but like, since I don't know when you're going to get home, you know, I'm going to be the real sort of routine evening parent so that I'm always going to be home um, to greet the kids by six o'clock at the latest. And I'm not going to really plan on doing stuff for myself most nights. So the nights can be yours. So if you'd like to go to the gym after work, go for it. And then, you know, on the flip side in the morning, since I can't get that time at night, it's great for me to be able to grab time in the morning to work out or do a blog post or prepare for a podcast or, you know, do the things that I want to do to keep myself happy and sane. And uh, that, that has been sort of a, an intentional time split for us that works really, really well. Yeah. Or if one party travels a lot for work, for instance, the party that is not should feel very unguilty about asking for time on the weekends. You know, I know in our household, that's something that I've been a bit more insistent about. Like if I want to do something on the weekends, I really don't, I mean, I ask my husband, but I don't expect that he would be like, no, you can't. And and so I've done more stuff on the weekends that I enjoy for fun, uh, just because he is traveling more often than I am. And so I feel like that's fine. If you've been gone Monday through Thursday and I've been the parent who's on during that, then, then Friday through Sunday should be more your time. And, you know, I'm often using that time to work as well. It's not like it's all, you know, fun and games, but that is um, a split that we try to do. And, And sometimes it works less well than others. You know, I make sure that what is important to me still happens like the running, like joining a choir (laughs) phrase, making sure that what's important to you still happens. And to me that, that tells me like, it's not about keeping score. It's not about hitting a specific number. It's like last weekend, my husband's like, okay, can I work for four hours on Saturday? And I said, sure. And I really 
for me, I didn't have anything specific I wanted to do on the weekend other than I said, that's fine. I want time to run both days. Like that's what I needed that particular weekend. I didn't need a ton of like sort of free time because I had had a day off earlier in the week. In that particular case, if I did, I would have asked for that too. But it's like figure out what you need and what you want and 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 make those exchanges. They don't have to be even, but they have to be thought about. And you, you do, you are allowed to take time for yourself. Yeah. And sometimes it might help to assign specific things to a person as well um, and say like, you are totally responsible for this. So I had, you know, taken on a lot of the kids activities and all the stupid paperwork that comes home at the start <laughs> of the school. Year. Oh my goodness. It's been ridiculous. Right. And, and so I said, you know, I also happen to have two children who have early fall birthdays. And, and so I get slammed with this every year that we have parties at the same time as we have start of school, all that. And it's complicated because you don't know who's in their class. So you don't know who to invite and they don't get the directory till October, which is after both of their birthdays. And so like, you know, it's always just a source of stress. You know, at one point my husband was like, well, what are we getting Sam and Ruth for their birthdays? And I was like, I am not going to do that question. Like, why don't you <laughs> go buy whatever you think the like, two? I'm of glad them you brought it up. It means have. it's on your mind. It's, it's on your, your mind. mind. <laughs> it's not going to be on my plate. Like, I have just enrolled them in X zillion activities and done all of that. And and so the Amazon boxes have been arriving fast and furious. And there was a trip to, uh, you know, Best Buy and wherever else over the weekend to get something for for the seven year old who's turning eight. And you know, so that's done and it's off my plate. And I, I just did do a little something because I knew there was going to be issue with it. I just ordered a bunch of wrapping paper from Amazon because I took a wild <laughs> guess that that wasn't something he thought about, but <laughs> that was simple enough. That was a two second phenomenon. It will show up and, and that he can wrap the stuff too. So that, that is off my plate. Assign a certain project. The, the kids going to the dentist, also not my project. He couldn't make it at the time that they were scheduled for most recently, he took that on himself to move it, right? He didn't say, oh, could you go take this? They just moved it. And I was like, that's when I know you've, you've taken on full responsibility for this activity rather than just sort of tossing it at me. And you guys do the dividing on weekends who get who has to wake up early, don't you? We do, usually. Uh, that's that's the idea. I mean, one of the I like to run on weekends too, so sometimes I'm up early anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, but, but then I make sure that, you know, I'm... I'm um, I mean, I'm gone, right? I'll just go for a long right, run. Right. Who's on kid duty in the morning. That's true. If you didn't want to sleep, then that's one thing. Yeah, we do that too. And I, I, I feel like I've heard from so many women who are like, oh, I've never gotten a day to sleep in. It's like, there's two of you. <laughs> you could make that happen. Yes. It's a reality. But, but don't, don't just suffer, right? Just, you, you know, have that conversation before you go to bed and, and don't, you don't even have to do it in the way like, oh, could you please get up with the kid and be like, hey, tomorrow morning is your morning to get up with the kids. And then wait and see what happens. I mean, you know, he may grumble, but if you say like, you know, I did it yesterday and the day before, you know, and then just sit there again, like you have to develop the ability to sit there. Guys will grumble, but then they will come around to doing stuff. And, and often it just takes them a little bit too. I don't know what it is. I mean, this is probably not all guys or whatever, but if you read men are from <laughs> Mars, women are from Venus, there's some certain things that they'll grumble and grumble, but if they're grumbling, that means they're considering it. And then they do it. And then once it becomes their task, then they become like, you know, the hunter executing on getting the, you know, bison, like they're, they're going to, you know, make that happen <laughs> in their way. And so, um, you just have to get to that point. 
I don't get tons of grumbling, but I do think it's always just nice like when you're asking for that kind of thing to be like, I'll do Saturday and you do Sunday. And then you just both get this lovely gift to look forward to. <laughs> yes, exactly. So communication, right? <laughs> yes, communication. It really like not being afraid. And I, I hope that this episode maybe inspires the woman with a, the surgeon husband to to maybe maybe don't play the podcast for him because <laughs> that might be a little much, but to have really have an open conversation about all of this because part of me is just like, you need to tell him exactly how you feel because like that's probably half the battle here, and yet we we don't we don't always go there because it's hard. Yeah, I don't think he was a surgeon. He was something else. I forget what. Oh, she, sorry. Was she the surgeon? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't even remember. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. The second question was the surgeon. The first one, she was the one who was residency and he had another intense job. Yeah, sorry. Yes, intense job. Yes, exactly. One. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. They need to have like a intimate like afternoon date where they kind of talk about this. Yes. In a, With a lot of I mind. statements, right? We learned this from the Yeah, the lots of I statements. I statements. Like, I not feel a lot of like pressure. <laughs> not in the moment when somebody wants something, but like, you know, sort of a family meeting style discussion. I think if there was more openness in a lot of couples, that, that these these issues would get solved in a, in a in a more productive fashion. Yes, and, and get rid of the guilt about, about asking for what you need. I mean, it's really sort of a pointless emotion. <laughs> it's not going to solve True. anything. Stamping out guilt. Stamping out guilt. That's <laughs> what we're all about here. So if uh, this should bring us to the, our love of the week segment here, which I think we're going to have to geek out on a little bit. So Sarah, you just got a giant haul of something this week. Yeah. So can we do a whole episode on this? In oh, the yeah, future? Okay, we'll just, I don't think we'll I can stop myself, <laughs> but as, as anybody who reads my blog, and by the way, my blog is the shoebox.com T H E S H U B O X. And I've had multiple people say, no one's going to find it. I figure people can Google, but that's what it is. So shoe. <laughs> yes. Shoe is like Sarah Hart Unger. It's not shoe like you wear on your foot. But it's a play exactly, words, right? And if you want to see a lot more sort of planner discussion and inspiration, you can go there. Um, but my love of the week is I am obsessed with this Japanese brand of planners called Hobunichi. They've been around since like 2003, but really only became uh, more popular in the last five, six years. And you have to order them from Japan. They're made of this super thin paper so that you can have a day per page, but not have this giant brick that you carry around with you. To me, they're like the most sort of flexible and comprehensive planning system that you can possibly have. And I really prefer bound to ring because the rings always get in my way. I don't know if it's because I'm left-handed or what, but these like lie perfectly flat. I really, I just think they're just like otherworldly perfect. So every year I make a big fun ritual out of like placing my order. And I think a lot of other fans do the same thing. And the company totally builds it. Like all, all they always release their stuff on September 1st and all through August, like they'll release one new tidbit of information like every day so that by the time you get to September 1st, you just can't even help yourself and you order everything. And so I just got my box and I just cannot wait to use this thing for next year. And it's very beautiful and I'll have to discuss it more in detail. Because, but... because there's not just like one notebook here. Like let, let's be clear. No, no, there, no, were, no. there were like eight notebooks, but it's all part of a system. <laughs> exactly. Got a cover, a week's insert for anybody into this, the actual planner book. We have a little 
auxiliary, auxiliary notebook. It comes well, I don't get how that works. Does it have to like leave the mothership from time to time or like why? Is there, like- I mean, it might be used like next to the mothership, but then it's always stored in the mothership. Yeah. Because if you want to keep like sort of accessory lists, well, again, we, we will have to do a whole episode because um, I would enjoy doing it. Although I almost feel like I need video for that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but yes, that is my love of the week. If you are in planner searching mode, check out my blog because I do discuss some of them. I'm trying to, I'm going to review a couple because I couldn't help myself and I ordered at least one other that I just wanted to look at and I just love talking about that stuff so but you can tell she's serious with the Hobonichi stuff because like didn't you have to order it in yen basically like you had to do the yes (laughs) well their prices are in yen I mean you can the, the website is completely in English like if you Google Hobonichi, you'll find their website. And then if you find the Japanese website, there's a little English tab at the top and it's all translated into English. So that part is actually not too difficult, but you do have to calculate the prices in yen. The Japanese so, take their planners very seriously, but, but, but this is the American version of it because it starts in January, right? Like you didn't get the one that starts in April, which is when. Yes. I got the one that starts in January. And again, I don't want to geek out too much. They actually, they, there, there's one that starts in April, but there's, I do get the one with the Japanese language, but that it doesn't impede the use of it at all. Like all the numbers are in, are easily readable and some of the headings are in English too. But the reason I get that one is because there's that one's divided into two volumes. Anyway, that's... <laughs> Again, I don't want to. Yes, I'm not sure how many people listening to this even knew that most Japanese things now start in April. Now you do. Like, so why Japanese planners start in April or yeah, the end of that's March seeking so gear spring. up? Exactly. <laughs> so, what is your love of the week? Oh my gosh. So, I um, use just, I'll, I'll talk about my calendar. I just use this Dayminder weekly calendar, which is just this like spiral bound little um, you know, purse size calendar. And I do use a paper calendar because I like to keep complete control of it. I don't like electronic stuff that much. I don't want to look at it. Um, I just like writing stuff down and I can also see if the day is getting too cluttered. Um, I use a, just a regular notebook as a planner. Um, I may need to step up my game. We'll see, but I have a system. So this is a problem. I have a system and I'm not sure that any commercially available product would match my system. And I think in general, I'm not going to change my system. Like my system works for me. And, and so I need something that works for me as opposed to trying to, you know, plan my life according to. And the question is how much do you care about the aesthetics of it all? Cause I yeah. care a lot and I'm not an underbuyer, but maybe, maybe you don't care as much. Well, I care, but I care in a sense of like, I mean, I don't want it to be a, a crappy notebook that like, you know, is one on the on sale at Target for, you know, two for a dollar or something. I want it to have a little bit harder of a cover and I want it to lay flat so I can open it and write in it. Oh, good. Then I can bring you to the dark side. Eventually. You can bring me to the dark side. <laughs> but within that, like, you know, there are commercially available, like, you know, less than $20 stuff that you can get that does yes. that, right? You and know? there's a lot of really pretty stuff, actually, that's that's at a lower price point and that you don't have to order in another currency. Although, curiously enough, so I ordered my Dayminder, like, I feel like it was two weeks ago. I ordered it from the Dayminder website or at a glance, I guess, with the parent company or whatever. It hasn't come yet. I'm I'm a little concerned. I actually have to start filling in dates for next year. Like I booked a speech in March. I booked something in January. Like I got to get my calendar. (laughs) This is not working. Uh, So we'll see. Maybe that won't be a love of the week. (laughs) If I have to like call customer service, Um, that will not be a love of the week at all. 
Okay, so this brings us to our listener question of the week. Um, so you want to read that or want me to? Oh, yeah. Let's do you because you have more of an answer to this than me because you have more children. All right, all right. Okay. How did you or did you decide on the spacing between your kids? From your experience, are there advantages to having them closer together versus further apart, work-life balance-wise or otherwise? Yeah, there was not a whole lot of real planning <laughs> involved in the spacing of my children. Or if there was planning, it was planning that then the universe didn't respect in, in the way that one might like. So, um, you know, obviously I was excited about having kid number one and I was, I was lucky that, um, you know, when, when that happened relatively quickly after I wanted it to happen, um, I wanted to have rel- number two relatively soon after that and, um, got pregnant, but, uh, miscarried. And so then there's more space then between kid one and kid two than, than I, ideally would have liked. There's still only two years and five months, but they're three grades apart in, in school. And, you know, I wanted them closer together. Kid two and three are the ones that are most what I would have planned. They're almost exactly two years apart. Although I got to say, you may not want to have your kids exactly two years apart. Maybe you should go for like two years and two months. So you can spread out your birthday <laughs> parties later. Now that I deal with this every fall, that their, their birthdays are like a week apart from each other that, you know, I was like, oh, well, this works well. I'll get pregnant at 15 months so I could have them exactly two years apart. And, you know, I pay for that every late September when I have to do two parties. But then you're done. That's then true. you're done. You only have one birthday season. So yes. Um, and then, so you know, number four was, um, a surprise, shall we say, um, that that had not actually been on my radar. And then he arrived. Um, and I still have not <laughs> entirely figured out what happened <laughs> there. But uh, sometimes the universe does that to you. And he's a really cool little kid. So um, there's three years and three months between number three and number four. Um, it was right around the time that she was two and a half years old. My daughter was two and a half years old that I learned that number four was, was on his way. But I mean, what I would say with this is, is like, as you can tell from my story here, this is really not something you can hundred percent plan. I mean, it's really hard to plan. It is really hard to plan. And that can be really tough. I mean, especially for people like us who are planners would be like, but I would like to have a baby in July. So I should get pregnant in October. It's like, you know, if you can actually do that, like God bless you. But most of us, have not been able to either because we weren't able to get pregnant when we wanted to, or things happen accidentally, or it takes longer when you, when you want to, or, you know, it happens earlier than you want to, but you thought you should get started because you didn't know when it would happen. I mean, it's, if you are able to have roughly the number of children you thought you wanted to, and at roughly the times you thought you should, you should just count yourself lucky. Be happy. Be happy. Yeah. Our story is similar. I mean, it took forever to have my first. We started trying in 2009, January, and I had her in April 2012. So that was long. And then my second was like a surprise right after that. And I will say it was a little hard with them being slightly less than two years apart. So I'm actually really looking forward to round three, not having a toddler to chase around. Maybe I'll find out that Actually, there are other challenges that come with that. So I agree with Laura. Very hard to plan. And I do think once you're ready, like don't wait longer than you need to because it might take longer than you think to actually make it happen. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, from the, the work-life perspective, I mean, because I think somebody had been asking about that, like, you know, from work-life balance, I think a lot of women do find it difficult to have two right next to each other um, just because 
you're not entirely back at everything from kid one when they then are with the pregnancy of number two and then dealing with a second leave um, if, if you have that. But obviously, if you want to make it work, you will. But many people find that, that taking that second leave and that second sort of slowdown um, shortly after the first one makes it a bit harder to come back. And there's also some element of choice in that too. Many women do decide to scale down things after kid number two for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's more of a lifestyle choice, but um, some women it's because it has been more difficult to do. Um, I think from a health perspective, Mary, I mean, Sarah may have to answer more of this. I think there are some benefits um, maternally. I think I read that like between two and three years yeah. is the absolute like healthiest window so that your body can recover between the two. And I will say I was like really anemic with my second and I think it was because it was so close to my first and then I just got my like labs from this one. I'm like, wow, even though I'm old, my numbers are actually way better. So that's interesting. It, does, it's, more it is hard on your body to have a baby. Yeah. And then if you do it right I'm again. being reminded right of that right now. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're reminded of that. But the thing is, I mean, honestly, so even though it might be ideal to have like at least three years from a health perspective between the kids, like, you know, if you start late enough, that's not actually an option if you want to have a bigger family. And, and so, I mean, you should just you know, it, there will be upsides and downsides to either way. I mean, there's efficiencies of having them close together. They'll be better friends, perhaps growing up. Um, they can do more things at the same time. You'd be more able to pass clothes down and toys down between them. But if they're farther apart, you might have more energy for the baby when you are not chasing a toddler, for instance, and, um, maybe your body will be more recovered and, and your career may be at a different place where you can, you know, sort of enjoy more of that, having built up the capital, uh, in between pregnancies as well. So your mileage may vary. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that has been episode nine. We were looking at this episode on how to achieve a 50-50 split, or if not a 50-50 split, a split you are happy with when it comes to child raising and household stuff. We have also talked briefly about our planners, which we're going to have to do a whole episode on that, and talking about kids spacing. So we'll be back next week with more. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better. 
I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 